everyone, and welcome to One Control Report Podcast, episode 285. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today to talk to you about things that are related to video games. Honestly, mostly things that are just related to things I've been doing, probably, more than anything. Um, I'm exhausted, um, maybe doing two, two conventions back-to-back with panels at each was not the best choice I've made in life <laughs> um so so yeah i i'm pretty tired so i think this today's show is gonna be a little straightforward for the most part i think we're just gonna do a couple rundowns of um uh the two conventions that i went to um just some time i spent back up in portland again more recently and then uh and then just go through a handful of news stories here i think that's gonna be pretty much the scope of today's podcast a little bit also just to kind of talk a little bit about what's next now that uh, panels and stuff are out of the way. So, so yeah. So, if you didn't hear, for some reason, you're just joining in after a couple weeks here. Um, I, I did go back to uh, two panels. The first one, or two uh, conventions. The first one being KomoriCon, which I hadn't been out there since, like, 2016. Um, it's a long story. I wasn't really planning to go to KomoriCon, honestly, initially. Um, but it kind of worked out um, where I thought it would be a fairly inexpensive trip. And um, it was still inexpensive overall, but I ended up spending more money than I thought I was going to. So I don't necessarily know if it's the right choice that I that I, to make at the time, but I had already submitted a panel, so I kind of committed to going up there um, um, to actually, uh, uh, you know, do do a panel there. So if you don't know, I did a panel that was basically an adaptation of the video I did about uh, buying retro games on a budget, but more importantly, like staying positive kind of thing uh, while you're out shopping for games and stuff like that. And uh, probably on like. 20 people showed up. I think maybe like three people during the show left at some point, but otherwise I think it was a pretty good showing. Um, Kamori Khan was like super stringent on uh, mask requirements. So it was actually like kind of hard to read people because everyone had uh, N95 masks on. So you can't really see their face. So I didn't get a lot of feedback, like at least visually of like how, how the audience was reacting kind of thing. Um, but I think it went well overall. Um, you know, it, it, it was a little bit of a challenging panel to put, to put together. You thought, I thought it would be somewhat easy given like I was adapting it out of a video, right? But um, because I had like more time, I had more time to like further explain certain things. And um, I... Part of those longer explanations, I I, I kind of wonder if it kind of mu- muddies up the message a little bit to some extent. Um, but I think it was still good to do overall, and I and I and I really enjoyed it. Um, and and generally, you know, I think it it, it went well. A few, handful of people took cards um, of for my YouTube channel. I also offered. Um, I gave uh, out uh, Japan Retro Direct. Uh, bootleg cards that I made myself using just like printer paper and ink and stuff like that. So, um, so I gave that out there too, just cause, uh, Japan Retro Direct, you know, I always talk about it, but like, I always enjoy shopping from them. And I, and I have a segment that I talk about importing games in that whole, uh, uh, talk kind of thing. And, and, and one of the th- easiest things with importing games is simply, uh, you know, going with one seller and just buying from them kind of thing. So, um, so I was happy to kind of go in that. And then also, cause I plugged Japan Retro Direct in the original video, but I don't really think I feel like I explained why I like shopping with Japan Retro Direct. So I took a little bit more time to give more detail on like exactly what I think Japan Retro Direct does well, um, and, in, in, in that kind of space kind of thing. So, so yeah, I think it was a, a good time overall. It was like 45 minutes panel. Um, the recording seemed to have turned out pretty well, so I think that will go up on the uh, on the YouTube channel here at some point in the future. I'm not quite sure when it will actually go up. I don't want to commit to anything yet, just because I have to actually start editing stuff together. 
Um, but it, it will pretty pretty likely go up unless there's like some crazy thing that I'm not aware of that happened that ruins the rest of the footage kind of thing. So, so yeah, um, it wasn't a result of the panel, but when I was at KomoriCon, I did actually get interviewed. It was just like, basically somebody just pulled me aside in the middle of the hallway because I made eye contact with the right person kind of thing, right? Um, and so somebody did interview me while I was out there, and um, I did go check their YouTube channel, and that interview is up there now. I forget their name. It's like California Blogs or something like that. So I'm also going to make a post about that on the YouTube as well. It, it was kind of the general thing I say when I go to like talk about anime conventions and things like that. Um, they're like, hey, why did you come here, and why are you? Why do you like, you know, these kind of conventions like this? And um, you know, I think the thing that I always kind of come back to outside of the panels, the panels are kind of its own own part of this now. But uh, I always just really like the artist alley and seeing people like really excited about things in artist alley and things like that. So, like for the convention itself, that's the thing that always makes me most interested. But I think the the fact that I'm submitting panels makes it more likely I'm going to go to convention now, just because I'm making commitments to go do something essentially. Um, where before, you know, if I didn't have any commitments, I would just, you know, kind of show up if I wanted to, to go walk around Artist Alley. So I was not, you know, going to nearly as many conventions as I probably should have been, uh, to some extent. Should have been, I don't know, it wasn't like a huge deal that I wasn't going to them. But, you know, getting out, going out and doing things, I think is generally something that I'm not particularly great at making myself do. Especially since, like, I, I don't have a lot of people I know locally um, to get me to do that. Um, so usually I have to like fly somewhere else to kind of go out to do something. Um, uh, but I am trying to do that more locally here. Uh, I, I don't remember if I talked about it on the podcast, but I went to a, um, this is not video game related as what well, as at all, but I went to like a day of the dead kind of thing, uh, the week before I left. And, uh, it was like a local thing at like, um, a Las Vegas event center kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Like basically a bunch of altars and stuff. I don't know much about day of the dead kind of thing. Somebody was asking me like, Hey, is it authentic? And I'm like, I have no idea, <laughs> but, but I enjoyed it. And, you know, you got to see little altars and stuff and basically people telling the stories about their family's pilgrimage from, you know, the, uh, uh Mexico up to the U S and things like that. So I thought that was kind of a fun thing too. So I'm trying to do more of that kind of stuff. There's like a final fantasy piano concert here in the future as well. I was like, maybe I should go do that as well. There's a few other things that I that I am looking at as well. So I'm trying to get out more, but I, I just know me like I always end up getting busy with stuff and then I just start pushing that stuff off. But I'm trying to make sure that I go out and do those things rather than just pushing it off to go work on a video or something like that. Right. So. So, yeah, I didn't pick up anything at Artist Alley, though, at Komori Con, um, but I did uh, buy a game called Zone B, uh, Zone B Korosu kind of thing. Um, so as far as I could tell, that was the only game at Komori Con. Um, if there's a game at a show, I usually will go and talk to the developers if I can, just because I think it's it's easy enough that I can kind of have a conversation with them, given that I like know a decent amount about video games. Where with artists and stuff, like as much as I appreciate the enthusiasm people show and the passion that the people show, like I can't talk to somebody about like their favorite, you know, Genshin Impact character or like Spy X Family art or something like that. Usually, I can just say, "Oh, that's cute," or something like that, and that's kind of it. Um, but with a video game, I can at least like have a conversation about it and talk about like what the design philosophies were behind it and things like that. So uh, I talked to the developer a little bit about Zombie Korosu, and it's basically like a kind of it's it's weird. It's kind of like a side-scrolling shooter thing, but it's like a genre mix. So like sometimes you're in like a fighting game kind of thing, sometimes you're shooting. So it seems like they're going for variety, which is pretty cool. I think it's like an hour-long game. 
Uh, maybe a little imbalance. I, I did struggle a little bit on just the demo that I played, but I did go ahead and pick it up and I paid like $10 for it kind of thing. I'm thinking because there's a lot of games that I either got the demo for or bought this year from conventions. So I think, you know, similar to how I do the Dojin streams, I think I'll probably do some kind of like local convention 2022 stream before the end of the year here where we'll play these games that I've talked to the developers and things like that. Um, this will be stuff spread out throughout the year. There's some things that were from Level Up Expo that I never even touched on, uh, even though I was intending to do that. So I got to figure out what all those games were because um, I think I downloaded them to my Steam library then just never did anything with them. But just make a list of that kind of thing. So Zombie Kuroso would probably one of those but it was it was neat definitely visually uh, a little crude but i think the ideas behind the game itself i think were were, were well intentioned at the very least in that regard so so i picked that up as like 10 bucks and it had like a cute little bag i don't have it over here but it's like a little lunch bag with like a little uh custom label put on it kind of thing so uh very cute so that's kind of all there is to say about Komori Con. I mean, and this is going to be true of the next convention that we're going to talk about. Like, I don't have a lot to say about anime conventions most of the time. You know, you kind of go there, you go to Artist Alley, and then uh, that's kind of it for me. I don't do a lot of the other stuff. So, um, oh, you know what? Uh, no, we'll, we won't talk about that right now. I was gonna, I was gonna say something about Sin City anime, but we'll we'll get back to that in a second. Um, I did want to talk about two things before we move on to the next convention uh, that were related to my time out in Portland. And that is, uh, my friend of, a friend of mine gave me some additional amiibos, uh, Animal Crossing amiibos. <laughs> so I have, um, uh, Cap'n, Mabel, Rover, and Mr. Rossetti now, which is very exciting. Um, part of me is very tempted to boot up, like, Amiibo Festival and just start playing some of that. Because if you don't know how Amiibo Festival works, is like, you have your Amiibo, you scan it, and the Amiibo builds up happiness points, which unlocks different outfits for them and stuff. So, um, I usually play all characters at once when I do Amiibo Festival, though. Um, and I only had three Animal Crossing Amiibo before with Tom Nook, Isabel and Digsby. So with this, I would have a whole set of four. So I could do like four player games by myself. I made an Amiibo, uh, Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival video a long time ago that talked about like how I play Amiibo Festival, um, which is kind of a weird thing of like a multiplayer session where I play every single character and I have fun with it. So like part of me is tempted to go back and do that again <laughs> with the new characters. But at the same time, you know, I probably should just not do that. But it is exciting that I now suddenly have, uh, I think like pretty desirable like Animal Crossing Amiibo. I think they're pretty cheap overall you know i don't know if i would have bought them normally um but you know those are fun characters i like Captain a lot at least i i need a they're in their boxes right now I, i'm debating cracking open the cat really early on the biggest problem with the amiibos is my cat just loves playing with them so if i put those amiibos out in any place that's like somewhat accessible the cat's gonna go up there and just start smacking them around i always like come out there's like a spot that i have amiibos right now which is like somewhat inaccessible but the cat can still get to them and like for some reason the inkling girl from splatoon is just always on my floor so like i'll just wake up in the morning and it'll just be the splatoon girl sitting on the floor i'm like great <laughs> kind of thing so i think he's like trying to get my attention in the morning so he'll just like start going around is like harassing everything that he can knock over basically that he can knock over basically so so i got those um you know not super super exciting update there but i think still pretty cool and um and yeah, we'll see. Maybe I'll do a, another Amiibo Festival stream at some point. I don't know. We did like a, a thing that was like the 31 days of video games during Amiibo, the, an Amiibo Festival stream. That was kind of fun. We're like every day 
of Amiibo Festival. If you don't know, the day moves not in real time in that game. So like a round of the game is like a month, basically. It maybe takes like an hour or two. And basically for every day in Amiibo Festival, I talked about one video game that was like randomly presented to me kind of thing. So I kind of wouldn't mind doing that again, to be honest with you. I think it was like related to thanks like Thanksgiving stream we did maybe. I can't remember for sure. Oh no, maybe it was a New Year's thing. I don't know. Anyways, it was a fun little dumb thing. I'm slightly tempted to go back to that. It's been like four years, right? So time to, time to, everything old is new again. Time to rehash it. So, um, and the other thing I did when I was in Portland is my friend, um, he had, uh, uh, the Playdate, which is, if you don't know, is a little, uh, portable console that was kind of a, I don't know if a budget release is the right word or it's like a toy kind of thing, but it was like a own its own standalone portable system that was like pretty small, maybe like half the size of a Game Boy, but quite a bit thinner than a Game Boy. Um, and it basically, uh, for the most part, has like your standard button inputs, but it has like this crank on the side of the of the system, so you can use that crank to control different things in games and stuff like that. I think it's pretty well known, to be honest. Uh, I could be wrong, but I feel like most like major podcasts I listen to would have at least mentioned it as something. Um, and what's kind of interesting about it as a whole outside of the crank aspect is, um, the games were like released like bit by bit. And as far as I'm aware, they're free games. I don't think you pay for them and they kind of release them in like different phases. And depending on the group you were in, you're like kind of mixed in with other people that are within the same group kind of thing. So I think the intention was like to make it so you had like a community of people you're interacting with whenever these games came out kind of thing. But, but I think what really took me back about the play date was really the quality and maybe maybe not quality the the diversity of games that was on the play date because i played a handful and i'm gonna be honest with you i'm not gonna remember any of the names of any of them um but i played the the one that i feel like was the kind of the main one that people showed off which was the robot one where you used the crank to like basically make the robot go forward and backward in time but the rest of the world is still moving at a normal pace so you use like him sniffing a flower to duck down and then so if you start walking up you know sniff the flower then walk past the flower and you run into a butterfly that's flying at you you need to go back to the flower and then he'll lean down to sniff it again and you wait for the butterfly to pass over kind of thing and so as far as i can remember the entire game is played by cranking the the crank forward or backward kind of thing um so there's like gimmicky mini games like that and then there's also like a bird watching rpg thing where you go around and take pictures of birds and use the crank to like you know get your photos and focus or not but it feels like very rpg-ish in a way it's like a lot of dialogue and a lot of like personality to its dialogue then there is like a a uh little surfing game from a uh, guile's company i think it's like chew high labs something like that and that was just like a very arcade surfing kind of game um, that was like kind of sit down, get a score, and then, you know, you're kicked out kind of thing. Uh, then you had like this Ronin game that was like more stage based where you like, you didn't even use the the, the um, crank as far as I could tell. But basically it was like more of a puzzle game, um, but it was like kind of a roguelike puzzle game maybe. I, I never got to a point where there's like a checkpoint or anything. So I was like always going back to the beginning of the stage. Um, when you played it, but basically it was like a way you had to like find ways to move that you could kill all the other enemies within an area, but they couldn't kill you, but they like move the same number of spaces you, you move. And if you like are stopped and they move into you, then that, uh, that will do, you know, that will kill you essentially. So it was like a really interesting little thing. So yeah, all these games are just like very different 
and the screen's like super crisp and things like that. So I just came back really impressed and surprised. I think I expected more experimental stuff, and there definitely is experimental stuff on there. There's like an electroplankton looking software, maybe like Mario Paint Music Studio is like the better uh, comparison, but I was just really impressed by the diversity and interesting things going on on that system. And honestly, I think it would be something that I'd be interested in checking out more the long term. The big problem is with any portable system for me is just like the ability to capture it. I don't know what that situation looks like for for them. I don't know if they have like a video out thing. I don't know if there's like an emulator that you can run on a PC that plays those games instead or anything like that. So, you know, it would be hard for me to really cover it, unfortunately, outside of that. But it's also not like a particularly cheap piece of hardware either. It's like 150 bucks something. Says says the man who bought, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast last week, but I bought a Dragon Quest Monster Battle Road Victory controller and it was like $200, which is stupid. I shouldn't have bought it. But at the same time, I think when I think about like, uh, this is going off on a completely other topic, but like, I really like card battling, I think, um, or at least I have a great interest in card battling RPG arcade games. And so kind of getting that as close to the full experience as possible, even without the cards, using that controller and things like that, I'm hoping really, really, um, you know, enhances the experience to some degree. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's just a controller, right? So I don't know, but we'll see. I still need to sit down and, uh, and use it and make sure everything's working. Um, I had some issues with the seller, so I'm, I need to work through those and make sure that's all fine first before I leave a review or anything like that. So anyway, so that was pretty much all I played, though. Um, actually, no, I played that uh, Fungi Explosion game from the Touch Detective franchise. Um, we'll talk about that next week, though. I, th- I think I'm just going to save the full game talk for next week on that. Sins of the Anime, that was the other panel that I went to, or uh, convention that I went to this week. This was a local one, also very anime-focused, much smaller than Komori Khan, that's for sure. Um, and uh, this is the one that I had the panel set up for that was going to be about um, uh, buying Dojin goods online. So basically, you know, Dojin artists, they sell stuff for fan like fan bases and things like that in Japan, and you can use a variety of websites to purchase stuff from that. So I kind of go for proxy shipping, I go over like buying Things through like Alice Books, Booth, Pick Square, Pick Spaces, things like that. And then also just like some general advice on like how to thank an artist, thing like that. It's pretty simple stuff. And, um, you know, I kind of had been pitching it alongside the idea of and the original PCFX panel I did was kind of alongside this idea, too, of just trying to make something that's going to be a little more relevant to anime fans at anime conventions. But I did find I did not really have my heart in this one, I think because it was not very video game focused. Like, I didn't, I don't think it was a bad presentation. I think it was a good one overall. But I was like, I don't have a lot of confidence in this space. And I don't have a lot of, like, authority in this space. So I kind of ended up positioning it more as like, hey, I've done this. You may not have done this. So let me tell you, as somebody telling you kind of one-to-one or one-to-nine, I think like nine people showed up to it, um, what that experience is like and what I what resources I use and things like that and what to work look out for. Like if I was just telling you as a friend kind of thing, rather than like I'm going to do a ton of research and give you like the most, you know, airtight talk about this topic kind of thing. But yeah, I think just like the fact that I did not have that confidence and also just the fact that it wasn't very video game focused. I think I had a hard time finding a lot of enthusiasm for it. Um, but I think it turned out really good overall still. And I did slip in a bunch of a Tokidol stuff in there. So, <laughs> so at the very least I got, I got some excitement of introducing, you know, a room of people to, to a Tokidol. Like at the very least I did that in the world and hopefully they remember what a Tokidol <laughs> is. So 
I haven't reviewed the footage in the audio for that yet. Um, but I I looked at the uh, or I, I pulled the files from the um the the devices I use the microphone and the camera, and the files looked fine at least. So again, I think I'll post that up later. Um, and and you'll be able to see that. But I think that'll happen after the um after the uh, the KomoriCon panel that I that I upload. Uh, uh, later. So, um, I actually also went to a panel at, uh, uh, Sin City Anime. So there was a panel called Otome 101, which last year there was a panel there too. And I was like, I think this is probably the same person. And it, sure enough, it was the exact same person who was doing it. Um, but I thought it was like a really, uh, much more refined panel this year. Um, and so I thought that was really good. And I think it was like a really good and, um, concise explanation of what Otome games are. And, and, uh, I think she gave really good explanation and answers to a lot of my questions, um, uh, regarding Otome games. I, I think the thing is I, I had somebody, um, at the convention say, oh, I thought the Otome panel was going to be yours kind of thing. And I'm like, I don't exactly have expertise when it comes to Otome games. Like I'm interested in them, but like, I don't know what to say about them for the most part. So I don't really set up those things, but there are a lot of Otome panels. Actually, there's like a two diabolic lovers panels. And then there's an Otome one that that lady made the one-on-one one that that lady made. And then also there was a, um, I think she did another one that was like talking about, um, like tragedy in Otome games. So I think like the, 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 the hardest hitting moments in Otome games kind of thing. So I, I personally didn't go to that second one. Uh, it was pretty late at night and I, I had, um, other plans at that time. So I, I really need to go home and like work on the panel. Cause I was not done with my panel at that point. So I ended up skipping that one, but, uh, yeah, I was like, I thought it was pretty good overall. And, uh, she actually, uh, launched a VTuber, uh, thing now as well. So, um, I think her name's like, Hey, Hey, Otome is what it, what it was. Let me see if I can find it real quick here. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just drop the link in, um, to the, uh, the, what's it called later. Um, Hey, Hey, Otome. Yeah. So, so that's what her, her VTuber thing is. I think she just launched her VTuber thing. So anyways, um, I still really want to get into the Otome scene a little bit more, but it's just a time commitment thing. It's hard for me to commit the time. I have Otome games. I'm ready to kick off. I could do it. I could literally stop the podcast right now and go play some Otome games and kick off my Otome life, but still continue to push it off. Unfortunately, eventually I'm going to have to play Angelique games. If I'm going to play every PCFX game, I'll be playing Angelique games. So, so it will happen to me at some point, whether I like it or not. I mean, I will like it probably. <laughs> so, so yeah. So otherwise, uh, that was, uh, that was pretty much it for, for the panels and stuff. Um, I also went to the artist alley thing, went around there a little bit. Um, same thing. I didn't end up, oh, you know, I did buy somebody's like original bunny character. I think it's like Yuzu or something like that. A little, a little orange citrus bunny, which is kind of cute. Um, so I did pick that up, but otherwise I didn't pick up much other, um, in terms of art and stuff like that. But, um, there was a game developer there. Oh gosh, I can't remember what the name was, unfortunately for the developer, but the game they made was a game called Spellbearers, which was like a smash TV mixed with, um, you know, kind of Magicka looking thing. Um, and it looks pretty cool. I did not play it there. There was a lot of people that were playing it and they did have a second station that I could have played it on, but you know, I was kind of sold on it already. And generally I'm trying to buy those kind of local, um, um, you know, indie games and things like that, that show up at conventions if they're selling their game. Um, so it's $20 normally, but the convention is like $10 plus you got a pen or something like that. So I also picked that one up, so I didn't play it, but it looked like a really nice looking Smash TV game, just kind of with like a different setting kind of thing. Um, although it's not arcade-ish in terms of like, 
it being like a score like cruncher kind of thing and, and it has an end to it and everything so it's not like you know you're just repeating nonstop. so um again i think we'll show that on on a stream that we do with like local convention stuff uh games that i bought um this year at, at some point um probably in december i would think for that so very very exciting and that was pretty much it for sin city anime and that's it for conventions for the rest of this year, thankfully, um, I did get my convention accepted for, or my panel accepted for, uh, uh, Level Up Expo, but that's in February, so I got a little bit of buffer until then, but I do need to make that panel, because it is a new panel. I did also see that, um, I think it's called ShineCon in here in Las Vegas, yeah, ShineCon Vegas, um, they are, they were originally a convention that was out here in like 2018. And then I think they canceled it for like one year. And then after that COVID happened, so they never were able to do any, uh, conventions. Um, so now they're finally relaunching it in this, in the next year of 2023. So I may take the KomoriCon panel. I did the, the buying retro games on a budget and submitting that to them and seeing if they, they bite on that. So we'll see. Um, but, but, you know, I figured it, at the very least the Kamari Khan one was done up in Portland. So, you know, locally people would not have potentially doubled up on that one. So I think that might be a good thing to do. It'd mean I'd, you know, go and present there and I wouldn't have to hopefully, hopefully, hopefully not to do as much work. That was the whole intention of that panel in the first place. And then I had to do a ton of work on it anyway. So hopefully I won't need to update it too much, uh, by the time that happens. So that'd be in May, but I have not submitted anything yet. I went to their website and it was a little confusing because the panel submission page still said 2020 for when they were doing 2020 submissions. <laughs> so, uh, I, I sent them an email like, Hey, are you guys ready to accept panel submissions or... <laughs> or should I wait until that? So we'll see if they, uh, they respond for that. So anyways, but that's panel stuff. I mean, I am trying to do a lot of panel stuff. Is that the right move or not? I don't know, but I just personally, I, I mentioned it before. Like I just wish there was more video game stuff at conventions here locally in general. And, um, you know, my, my big belief is if you want something done, you should do it yourself kind of thing. Right. So, um, so I, I am doing the video game panel stuff. I will say, I don't really 100% know what I plan to do after the Level Up Expo one, which is kind of about like, you know, better appreciating games and having more friendly conversation about games online. Um, so if you have something you'd want a uh, uh, panel uh, uh, about, let me know, because I am kind of looking for ideas at this point. Um, I think I am going to lean away from the whole like, trying to focus on anime things for anime panels though just because i think it, i mean i'm not saying that i won't do anime focused like things if it's like i have a topic about anime games or anything like that that might show up but um i just i just don't think i want to like plan around that per se and just just focus more on like what actually i'm excited for at the time to work on kind of thing so um but all the panel stuff aside, um, you know, basically what we're looking at, I mean, it's Thanksgiving this week, this week. So if you're in America, happy Thanksgiving. Congratulations to you. Um, <laughs> uh, but what my plans are for basically the next month and a half here is to um, do a lot of kind of background work. Um, I want to revamp the channel a little bit. You know, I mentioned it before, I think, but I'm probably going to be setting up an additional channel um, for, for some content as well. Um, I want to rework the stream, which is kind of happening already where I'm just kind of going into streams pretty loosey goosey of just like, we'll do whatever makes a lot of sense and just have fun with it kind of thing. Um, and then also, uh, I'm working on, I want to do a new podcast setup. I'm kind of tired of the green screen setup. Unfortunately, this room is not particularly great when it comes to my podcast setup because there's a bunch of lights behind me. That's the whole, almost the whole reason this green screen is behind me in the first place is because I have these lights behind me that shine directly into the camera, and so it looks really bad. 
Um, the green screen I also needed for my job at the time. So I was getting it for another reason, but, but I kind of was like, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna use the green screen all the time because this light in the background is piercing. So, um, in my other room where I have my other, uh, setup, it, I'm actually buying another microphone. It's just a blue Yeti microphone. I got a used one off, uh, eBay and I'm just going to go ahead and use that. And, um, and I'm going to use that, I think is the new podcast setup. So the camera quality will drop a little bit because I'll be using the Sony camera, which isn't as good as my, my webcams. Um, but it will be a little more, I think, visually interesting because there's going to be a background, how much that background will change is a whole other thing. But, you know, if you've seen the other streams where I'm like at the other desk, that's not my usual stream desk. Um, that's, that's the setup it is. I'm just moving stuff around and, and updating the, uh, the microphone because the microphone I had there was like a junk microphone that I was using. It had issues. It would always make this like cracking noise and things like that. So I've used it as a backup microphone in extreme situations. And we also used it when we played a uh, Betia on the Nintendo switch at one point as well. So anyways, that might be like a fun panel idea, like Nintendo switch games that, you know, you, you haven't played kind of thing. Maybe focus on imports or something like that. Does that seem like something people would like? Let me know. Let me know. I mean, you guys probably already know what those Switch games are, but that might be a fun thing to be like, hey, cool Switch games. Another excuse to talk about Buddy Mission Bond. So, so yeah. Um, and I think that's it in terms of like upcoming. Oh, and then like I got to edit the podcast highlights and community reviews, but that's not like super, super high on my list. So... Um, in terms of games, though, um, I, I'm kind of, I don't know what I plan to do. I, so I picked up Sonic Frontiers. I think we're going to play that on stream this upcoming week. And it is like a 20 to 30 hour game. I've been really curious about Sonic Frontiers. So I'm glad I picked it up. But I, I don't have, I think because I'm just so exhausted right now, I don't have a lot of enthusiasm to play it. So I don't, I don't know. Hopefully I get through it. But I also don't feel like it's a game that really needs me talking about it on the internet. You know, it's not like Battle and Wonder World where there's like a pretty immense, like, you know, negative you know, campaign against it. You have the usual like mainstream media versus Sonic fan base argument that happens. We're like, oh, all the mainstream media game review sites gave it like sevens or something like that, which is what I expect from a Sonic team game, you know, and like, I, I generally think I agree with their position on those in general. I'm not saying I write every review, but like, I understand why they give this game such low scores. But I also think that the set of values that mainstream media um, has it's just very different from what the Sonic fan base has and so the big thing is Sonic fans seem uh, very very happy with the game so um, which is good um, personally I'm really just there to, to look at the overworld and how it handles the overworld because you know I think I've mentioned before I don't like open world games um, but I'm always open to seeing games that handle open worlds in different ways that make them more interesting and Sonic Frontiers by kind of just the nature of how Sonic moves I think is um, is a really interesting character to put in an open world. So I, uh, I'm really looking forward to checking that out. So I think we'll just wait until we start on the stream time. Although if, you, if, if you're like, hey, being the game's slow and not great, let me know and maybe I'll put some time into it ahead of time kind of thing. But um, I think that's going to be the plan for this week. And I, I should go ahead and upload a like um, a, a placeholder stream uh, so you can set it, set it if you want to notify you when it goes live and things like that. I'm also thinking about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Warzone 2.0. I was not expecting this to be something I was going to care about. I have not played it yet, but I think, I think, so I'm playing Final Fantasy VII The First Soldier. I love that game. It's a beautiful video game. The player base is just not there anymore, though. 
and it is almost impossible to find like a good game these days. Like I'd say 95% of my games are not very good. Um, I think I need to kind of recontextualize how I can handle that thing. My friend is really going deep into like the, uh, uh, season, uh, objectives and things like that, where I haven't really been doing that. I've just been kind of like, I just want to fight people. And, uh, there's just not enough people to fight right now. So there's definitely occasionally, sometimes we find games, but it's just very, very rare. So I think I'm getting a real itch to be like, play a battle royale and be challenged in a battle royale. Um, and so I think in the fact that I've played Apex already and PUBG before, I think I'm looking at like Call of Duty Warzone 2.0 because I like Call of Duty games. That's maybe not something that's like super apparent, but like I was always a big fan of the Call of Duty franchise. The biggest problem with the Call of Duty franchise for me is that A, a lot of them look way too similar, but B, like, like I just don't, I don't feel the need to play them. Like enough people are covering those games in a way that it doesn't really matter. So as much as I enjoy playing them, um, I think my time's better spent elsewhere usually. Um, so, but I like, I like Call of Duty a lot and, and like, I haven't played that many. I will say, I think Modern Warfare, the original Modern Warfare 2, I think was the last Call of Duty I really sat down and played through. Um, but I am, I do like how Call of Duty plays. So I think I'd be interested in seeing how a fast paced first person shooter that's more traditional in the like Modern Warfare kind of element rather than like Apex element. I would be interested in seeing how that works. I don't know if that is like enough to carry me for like a hundred hours, but I think just that like competitive need I have when it comes to first soldier that I'm not getting, um, would be fed by that. And I also think it'd be slightly different than the other games I've played. I mean, there's not that many battle royales around, right? So like, there's only so many places I can go to get a new battle royale experience. So, you know, it's kind of Call of Duty Warzone 2.0. And then after that, it's kind of just Fortnite. I think like, I don't know any other like really big battle royale games that I haven't played. So, so yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of smaller ones around and things like that, but, but it's the only ones I can really think of at this point. So it's Patreon time. Welcome to the Patreon corner. Thank you. I haven't looked at the Patreon this month, so I assume if you add, if you join the Patreon, I'm not adding you. I'm sorry. I, I just haven't looked at the Patreon page since I got back from uh, Portland. Um, but uh, the thank you, Henry Dagger. Thank you, Jillian. Thank you, Paul Daniel. And thank you, Discreet, for your support. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think there's a Kaminazo playthrough that went up this last uh, last week, so I think it's part three of that. So um, I'll give I'll be getting more of those Kaminazo playthroughs going. I'm thinking the next um, uh, thing's going to be also kind of a behind the scenes update again kind of thing, um, especially since I'm going to be more actively thinking about what I want to do with the YouTube channel and stuff like that. So if you want to get cool deets on that i'll probably be uploading some uh write-up um for the next uh patreon update which happens every two weeks basically uh the patreon costs about five bucks so if you want to join in you get bonus videos you get behind the scenes updates things like that and the other thing you can do is ask a patreon question like jillian has um and jillian asks what difficulty do you play games on jillian this is a interesting question because i feel like this is a question that i took from a very journalistic approach for a very very long time um i personally always believed for not always but for a long time believed that if you review a game you should review it on the normal difficulty because that's what most people are going to select and that's what you should base your score around whether there's a harder mode or not. And that includes like, hey, I think the game's a little too easy. There's a hard mode. I would do that. I, I think it's a flawed thought process, I will say nowadays. But back then, that was kind of the thought process behind it. Now, I do not feel that way. I think you should use the difficulty that makes the most sense to you. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's important to be adaptable when possible. Um, you know, I think these days I, I'm personally somebody who wants to give a game every chance to succeed. And I think a part of that is looking at a op- the options a game offers and, and taking advantage of them. Um, I will say I still personally play games mostly on normal because I usually do not care that much if there's a challenge or not. I care more if there's the, the mechanics are interesting. I'm not saying that there's there's no cases that I want the game to not be difficult to like like you know, I, I think some games the mechanics mostly flourish in a more difficult environment kind of thing, right? Um but it is something that I think is just you should be flexible and you should adapt based off what you think works best. And I, I think one of the beautiful things about video games today is you can kind of switch difficulties on the fly kind of thing. But in the case of most games, I will just stick to normal, normal difficulty kind of thing. So I don't have too many situations where I'm like, this game's just too easy to be fun. There are some exceptions. Left for Dead. I did not like Left 4 Dead on normal. I thought it was an incredibly boring game with four people because it just was no- never enough for four people to like to do anything, I felt like. So you just kind of sat there and you just kind of like would shoot and then then like nothing would challenge you or anything like that. So I kind of bullied my group into playing on expert, um, which was like, hey, you're going to get hit like three times and die kind of thing. And, and, and enemies definitely took up a lot more ammo as well. And that I think was really um, satisfying. Uh, uh, when I played... Uh, cooperative squad shooters like the Rainbow Six games with my my friends. Um, I also prefer those when we're fighting against bots on high AI difficulty kind of thing. So I definitely think um, in in cooperative environments, I do like to be challenged if it like facilitates additional communication, I think is the big thing. So it's a complicated answer, but I think the important thing these days is to be as flexible as possible. Again, give a game every chance to succeed. I could have very easily played Left 4 Dead on normal, said, I hate this, I never want to play this again, and just left it at that. But no, we we shifted over to Expert, and I think that was uh, a really smart choice, and I think it really enhanced my enjoyment of that game. Um, so, so yeah, we're actually playing uh, ghost of Tsushima right now, the multiplayer mode for that ghost of Tsushima legends. And, um, what I really liked about the initial time we played that was it was really challenging. Um, we were under leveled because it seems to expect that you have some gear from playing through the story mode, which I did not have any. So you had to kind of catch up, um, doing it. And I really enjoyed the, the, the difficulty that there was in terms of using all level one gear on those missions. Um, but, but now that we've got higher level gear and stuff like that, they're definitely not as hard. And I think, I feel like I don't enjoy them as much personally, but it's still a fun game and I still like it, but I do feel like, um, um, I kind of liked the, the nail biting difficulty of it, but I think it's only something I'd be into in a cooperative setting. I think when it's solo, I'm not, not as interested for some reason. So anyways, I think it's the communication aspect kind of thing. So, but anyways, Thank you so much. Um, I may be a little late on posting the Patreon question this week, but at least I'm pretty sure on Monday you should at least see the Patreon question post go up. Um, Feel free to ask a question if you want to ask me a question. Otherwise, Jillian's question, because she gave us a repository of questions that she wanted to ask, uh, will be the next question. But feel free to leave your your comment in the the post that goes up on Monday, probably Monday afternoon, that will will, ask you if you want to do a Patreon question or not. So... It's news time. Just some uh, some smaller news stories here, kind of thing. So nothing huge. 
quite a few updates here as well. Um, one thing I did want to touch on, this is not really news, but um, we talked a while ago about a Buddy Mission Bond event that happened. Um, I Gosh, I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, unfortunately. Maybe it was like Mikuragura Cup or something like that. That sounds right. And um, it seemed very like sports based. And and if you went to the website, there's like a soccer stadium in the background. And so I was curious if at the time that if that was actually going to be taking place at a sports stadium. Um, I saw that I think it was like gamers put out some screenshots of the event. And that's very much not the case. It was very much the standard stage show. So I'm guessing it's more just like the general topic of it. I don't know if they're going to do like a Blu-ray of it. I really probably should be buying these live streams and recording them because I don't know how many of these are actually going to get any kind of release otherwise. I bought the Blu-ray release of the uh, Meteorite show, but you know I don't know how much they plan to do that in the future kind of thing. Um, so anyways, uh, but one thing I really enjoyed about it from what I saw, well, from the little I saw, just the screenshots is that they updated the costumes of the voice actors because in the original show, the voice actors just kind of had suits on with like little colored flourishes based off their character, nothing too fancy, which, you know, a lot of the characters in that game largely wear suits, not all of them, but, but they largely do wear suits. So it kind of makes sense. This time around, they had outfits that fit their characters a bit more. Now, um, Luke, he has uh, a suit, so they kind of kept the same thing. But the difference is, is they put on the white undershirt, which Luke has. I, I'm pretty sure, off, based off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure he has like a white undershirt in that suit. So this is like his infiltration outfit kind of thing. Aaron, uh, kind of same deal. I think it's like a, just like I think it's like a fancier suit, which you know, Aaron in the game just kind of has like a fancy suit as well. That's a little roughed up because he's put it on sloppily because that's just how Aaron is as a hothead delinquent kind of thing, right? And the two that were really nice was Chelsea. Chelsea has kind of a lot of the visual embroidery that was with his suit that was put on there which is good. And then Mokuma had a really interesting suit that was like a suit plus, I don't know what it's called, but it's like the kind of a more, I guess, traditional Japanese attire, but it's like kind of like a yukata, but it's like not tied up in the front. So it just is like kind of going over the sides. And in the game, it's a yellow one um, kind of thing. Uh, but this one that they had, that he had in person was a yellow suit top, but it was like more style than that look. And it was like more solid colors like the, uh, the yellow uh jacket kind of thing that that Mokuma has in game so it was actually really nice to see um visually being represented a lot uh better I made a post on Twitter about it that I'll, I'll link in the description if I remember hopefully <laughs> um uh let me write that down here real quick I'm not like reviewing the podcast as much to save time unfortunately so if you do hear any like weird fuss ups or whatever in the podcast that's probably because I'm I'm not going back and listening to it so leave a note for buddy mission bond <laughs> um outfits okay We'll leave it at that. But uh, yeah, I'm trying not to edit as much, especially right now as I'm kind of in the transition period trying to figure out what I want to do with things. So um, the other news story, I think probably most people here heard it because, you know, it is kind of a, a, I guess, sensational headline. Is that the right word I'm looking for? I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for. But, you know, it's, it was definitely one of interest to most people. Yuji Naka, um, one of the co-creators of the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise, Rodea, the Sky Soldier creator person or co-creator at least, Fallon Wonderworld man, um, he got arrested. Uh, I think he's been allegedly uh, involved in uh, insider trading. I don't know if he has been convicted yet. I don't think that's the case. I know Japanese court system is stereotypically, at least, uh, that that the 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 um, uh, like most people are found guilty in the Japanese court system, as far as I understand. It is not a particularly kind system in the regards to like. 
you know, you getting out of a case kind of thing. But as far, again, I don't have like the stats in front of me, but that's the thing I always hear kind of thing. Um, and it's also being insider trading, trading. I don't know what like Japanese penalties are for that. If it's a fine, if it's, you know, jail time or, or what I know, like, um, there's some cook, uh, that was on TV that got arrested for insider trading here in the U S like back in like the nineties or two thousands. I forget Martha Stewart. Is that what it was? I remember her like ending up in jail at one point as well. I don't remember how long, like it seemed like a long time when I was a kid, but you know, I was a kid. So, so I don't know. But anyways, um, you know, he's not necessarily, uh, considered, uh, guilty at this point. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, I don't think this really has any real impact on the, uh, any kind of game industry stuff. I mean, the, the, the impression, Yuji Naka gave is that he was kind of done with game development outside of just, you know, personal projects, right? His shot 2048 game kind of thing. So I don't think it has any real ramifications, but especially after the whole Balan Wonderworld thing and him going to court to sue Square Enix about stuff. Um, I think it just was like yet another article that people could kind of point to and kind of laugh at, um, you know, Yuji Naka is not something I want to defend per se, because the, the stories that go around are definitely kind of um, pretty bad. He seems like not a great boss and great coworker to work with kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I do still like his games a lot. So, you know, and, and like the reality is a lot of these things are, are a lot of people just talking. And, you know, the more you hear people talk about that stuff, especially when it comes to like his attitude, you know, the more and more you kind of believe it. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't know the guy. So... Um, but yeah, so that's a fascinating thing. Not really relevant probably to much of what we're doing other than he probably is not going to be working on any mobile games while this whole thing's going on. So probably won't release a new mobile game in the, uh, in the time frame of this, all this stuff clearing up. But, um, yeah, I mean, hope for the best for him. I know he's got like a family and stuff, so I hope the best for them as well. Final Fantasy 16. Um, we haven't talked about Final Fantasy 16 in a long time. I mean, the reality is, is that I still have a ton of interest in what's been shown so far. Um, although I think what I what I did see in the last trailer was in the gameplay, it seemed to be kind of stance focused. So it seems like the I think they call them eidolons in that game, but you know the summons essentially. Um, it seems like they kind of affect your character's like melee attack and stuff like that, and you can kind of switch between those different summons that it changes how your melee works and things like that. So I think that's actually kind of interesting, and I I really like stance and weapon changes in combat and action games. So I am excited to see that. You know, there's also the stagger meter stuff to some extent as well. So. I'm not super excited for Final Fantasy 16, but I think I will play Final Fantasy 16 at some point, and I think that's probably going to be the thing that pushes me over the edge to get a PS5. However, Final Fantasy 16, it's only a PS5 exclusive for six months. Uh, it was like mentioned in like a video that came out recently that was promoting the game that it's exclusive for six months on the PS5. Um, if you don't know how Square Enix things have been going, though, you know, it seems like most likely, unless like Square or Microsoft comes and like signs a big check or something, um, I think probably the more likely scenario is that Final Fantasy 16 will come to PC in six months. Um, and then after that, maybe eventually Xbox, you know, I, I don't think Final Fantasy 7 remake is even like potentially coming to Xbox at this point. I don't think Square Enix has said anything. So, you know, Square seems to be still pretty on board with Sony when it comes to, um, this kind of stuff. Although I think the seven crisis core remake is coming to Xbox, if I recall correctly. So they are still getting some stuff, some stuff on Xbox. But uh, yeah, I think 16 and 7 Remake Part 2 will probably be the things that push me over to get a PS5, despite me not playing any RPGs ever. <laughs> so that's something I probably should do by the end of this year, is start another RPG. Soma Bringer, the big one. The big one I've been trying to get to. I think it's like 20 hours long, so I don't think it's like a super long game either, so...
And the last news story is an update on the X68000 Mini kind of thing. So if you don't know, we've been talking about this off and on for a while. It's been a lot of rumors about what this thing is. Um, but from what I can tell from the Famitsu article, again, this stuff is all machine translated at this point. Um, it sounds like that it is indeed not a collection of games on that hardware. It is a operating system on there. So the operating system, it sounds like is something that's maybe reminiscent of whatever operating system was on there. If I don't know if it's exact on there. It didn't seem like they specified anything in specific. And I don't know what operating system the X68000 ran on in the first place, honestly. Um, if you don't, I guess I should say the X68000, if you don't know what it is, is a Japanese PC. And I believe it was used for development of a lot of arcade games and things like that. So Street Fighter 2, I believe, was developed on the X68000 systems. Um, anyways, so uh, so this thing is coming out. But in an interesting kind of um, period here, they're doing something that's kind of like a beta test for it. Uh, so they have this little mini console thing that you can do. And with this beta test, you can have the operating system on there. But they're only accepting applications from people who are going to actually do like to, to purchase it, uh, who are actually going to do like programming work and provide them feedback. So if you don't have any credentials, um, they basically won't sell you this current edition of this mini system. So they're looking to get feedback from those developers who work on the system. It's called the X68000Z Hacker Edition. And the submission period is, um, started, it started on November 15th and it will be ending on November 30th. Um, I'm going to guess probably you need to be in Japan as well. I don't know if that is actually the case or not, but, um, I, I would, I would assume that's probably going to be the case. So anyways, it sounds like a really interesting thing. And it sounds like you're going to get like a special black edition mini console when the thing actually launches. Um, uh, if you do the beta test as well, or maybe the actual beta hardware will be the black mini edition. I'm not quite sure on that. Um, but they're going to be shipping that stuff out in like early 2023, it sounds like. So, um, it was kind of funny that Harada actually mentioned this. I was scrolling through Twitter and saw Harada of the Tekken fame, uh, talking about it. And he was talking about how he wanted to, uh, submit and participate. So we'll see, maybe Harada is going to be doing some X68000, uh, uh, <laughs> testing, uh, and, and posting some stuff online. That would be kind of fun and, ex and exciting, but still no real word on like how available this thing's going to be once it's actually out there and done. If it's going to be something that you can get pretty easily, if it's going to be a lottery only kind of thing or, or what. So anyways, that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for coming. I don't, even, I can't even see what time it is in terms of like how long we've been talking for, but, um, yeah, pretty rambly podcast this week, but honestly, we had quite a few things to get through. Um, and, um, yeah, we'll get back to some games that I had been playing, uh, uh, starting next week and we'll do some, uh, some, uh, overviews of those. Uh, but otherwise, you know, like I said, it's Thanksgiving holiday here in the U S. So if you are on holiday, enjoy your holiday time. Um, and then we'll be back next week, um, with at least, you know, there's probably not gonna be a lot of game news, but you know, we'll see maybe in Japan, maybe we'll get some X68000 updates or something like that. So I'll be back on Monday with the new podcast and you guys can tune in for that. Also on Thursday, we're probably streaming Sonic Frontiers at the usual time, 7 PM Pacific time, if you're interested in that as well. But otherwise, I'll be working on stuff in the background. I'll provide you guys with updates, especially the Patreon people. So keep an eye out and I'll, I'll try to get you guys information. But once everything's been kind of finalized, I'll make a more formal video that will talk a little bit more about what my plans are and, um, and you know, what, what you should be aware of and what links you should be aware of as well. So anyways, I hope you guys have a great week. Bye.